This episode of Best Girl Grip is sponsored by Share Her Journey, the Toronto International Film Festival's initiative to increase participation, skills and opportunities for women behind and in front of the camera. You can also join the movement at shareherjourney.org. Hello and welcome to Best Girl Grip the podcast that celebrates the women behind the scenes of the British film industry. I'm your host, Nicole Davis. Hello, pod pals, and welcome to another episode of Best Girl Grip Goes to Tiff. I'm joined this week by Margaret Boykin, Director of Film Development at Ubisoft, where she is focused on adapting their catalogue of games for film with titles in their library, including Assassin's Creed, Ghost Recon and Prince of Persia. Fun fact, Jake Gyllenhaal has been lured back into the world of video game adaptation with Ubisoft's production of The Division, also starring Jessica Chastain, which has been picked up by Netflix. Margaret is also producing an adaptation of the Just Dance game, which is in the works at Screen Gems. Margaret and I talk about the path she took to arrive at development, her role in setting up the Ubisoft Women's Fellowship, and what it means to both spot and nurture emerging talent. This was quite a diversion for me, dipping my toe in both the world of video gaming and Hollywood, and it was a real privilege to hear from Margaret her vision for marrying the two. So I hope you enjoy our conversation. This is episode 32 of Best Girl Grip. So I went to Barnard College in New York, Mm -hmm. um, and I was an English major. I concentrated in film and creative writing. And I knew I wanted to do something with writing. I thought I wanted to do journalism for a while. For a while, I thought I wanted to write fiction. But I worked as a research assistant to two different screenwriters while I was in college, who one was working for Boardwalk Empire, so she was based in New York, and I just sort of fell in love with the industry and sort of the potential for writers Mm -hmm. in that space. So that's how I got started. And how did that opportunity come up? You kind of knew of them already or where did you... One had been to Columbia, so it was a school connection and one was a friend's mom. Okay. And it was this great thing where the two of them were both represented by a talent agency out in LA called UTA. So after I'd sort of finished my time with them, because I was working part-time because I was in school, they were like, you got to get out to LA and like work at a talent agency, do a summer internship. That's where you're going to learn everything Mm. and figure out exactly what you want to do within sort of the big industry of film and TV. And so that's what I did there. Working with them led me to an internship at UTA in the mailroom for the summer, which basically means like you're literally delivering mail, which sounds so silly and antiquated now. It's mail, but that's what there's a bunch of you. And your job is to deliver mail like four or five times a day and also be available and ready if one of the assistants to any of the agents is out sick or gets fired Mm. or goes on vacation and you cover for them. So you get a sense of what it means to do that assistant job, but also what it means to be an agent across a wide variety of departments. So from uh, MP lit, agents who represent feature screenwriters and directors, TV lit, reality TV, talent. So I did that for a summer Mm -hmm. and I loved it. I ended up temping on a TV lit agent's desk, this guy named James Degas, who represented Brian Cranston at the time. And it was like peak breaking. Yeah. Oh, Um, And I just really loved it. I really loved, uh, you really do get a bird's eye view on the whole industry from that job. So it's a great first job. I would recommend it to anyone. And did you go in knowing that's kind of what you wanted to go into? You were were sort of like, no, I was still like, maybe I'll be a writer. 
So it was a good opportunity to see like, okay, this is, you can see sort of what every job looks like. You see what a studio executive does, you see what a producer does, you see what writers and directors do and agents, of course. So that was really helpful. And they offered me to come back after graduation and start full-time as an assistant, which I took them up on. So I moved to LA after graduation. And what was your kind of learning curve doing that job? Oh man, it's a steep learning curve. It's a really, but it's one of the things I really loved about it. I think at all of my other internships, I'd really enjoyed them, but you were very much doing intern tasks. And there's something really cool about, they really drop you in the deep end when you assist at a talent agency. It's Mm -hmm. like, go, like answer the phones, answer emails, figure out what's going on, learn as quickly as possible. So you have a, a, there's a great deal of trust in you and a great deal of responsibility, which is Mm -hmm. terrifying, but also really exciting and empowering. Um, and that's true. Even when I started full time, I was just as scared as when I started in the mailroom. But um, it's a great thing to do. I think being new to L.A., it felt like a little bit of a continuation of college because you start with a bunch of people your age and you're really dropped into this network of your peers um, and a network of mentors and the agents who um, are all doing exactly the same thing. They all are there because they love film and TV. So that's like really contagious mm. and I think energizes you through what would otherwise be a very difficult job. <laughs> yeah. And what was working in LA like? Because I know it has sometimes a reputation for being a bit cutthroat. Did you find it that way or did you kind of take to it? No, I mean, I I think I was lucky in that, I, A, I think it's difficult when you move to a new city. It's difficult leaving college. It's difficult being thrown into the real world. But I think I was really lucky in that I landed at UTA with a group of great peers. And so I had a little bit of a buffer. It's definitely cutthroat in that one of the things I feel like you have to learn when you leave school is that like your job is in school, right? So like you're there to do a job and your boss, hopefully if they're a good person who likes mentoring people and bringing people up, cares about your success, but they also, you need to perform for them because they're your boss. They're mm-hmm. not your teacher. Yeah. Like if you're having a bad day, they don't really care. That's a little bit of adjustment period for everyone. Mm-hmm. And I think it's particularly true if you jump right into an industry like Hollywood, where it's just, especially an agency, it's very high stakes. There's a lot of money in play. There's a lot of artists who are really passionate um and it's i think uh, being an agent is a stressful job and that stress can sort of trickle down and then what was your progression from assistant onwards so from there i was at uta for about a year and a half and i worked for two different agents in the empty department which was wonderful but it helped me realize that that wasn't exactly the path i wanted to take the thing i really loved about agents and still love about agents and managers and representation is being the in-between person between the artist and the industry and helping someone who is maybe more creative filter their process into getting something made mm-hmm. and sort of not holding their hand but guiding them through what can be like a very political and sometimes like archaic system to get something really great out of it at the end and agents do that but they do that like on an exponential basis because they have so many clients right mm-hmm. they're representing 50 to 100 people I really wanted to do that on a project-by-project project basis. So I started looking for jobs working for producers um, and at production companies. Okay. It was also important to me to work for a woman because both of my bosses at UTA had been men, which was great. And mm. they were both wonderful mentors for me. But most of the people they talked to were also men. So I was like, wouldn't it be great to like work for a woman? If I could yeah. find a producer as a woman, that would just be sort of the best situation. And I ended up working for this woman named Elizabeth Cantillon who had been an EVP at Columbia Pictures for many years and was just moving into producing full-time, the first look deal with Sony. And so I became her assistant and I worked for her for about two and a half years. And she was focused on a lot of big IP adaptations. So while she was at Columbia, she worked on movies like The Social Network. She worked on all of the Bond films there. And as a producer, when I worked for her, she was working on an adaptation of Girl in the Spider's Webs, the follow-up to Girl with Dragon Tattoo. Mm -hmm. Charlie's Angels and a bunch of stuff of that nature. So 
it was a really incredible experience learning. I learned everything I know about really development and production from her. Do you see her as like a mentor? 100%. Yeah. yeah, I feel really lucky that I had the time to work for her. She's really someone who does the work and cares about her employees. And it was just like when I first got promoted and got the job I currently have now, I was a little bit like deer in headlights. And when I was really panicked, I would just be like, what would Elizabeth do? <laughs> What would she do in this situation? Or sometimes even call her. Like, she's wonderful. She'll pick up a call from me at, like, one in the morning at my family reunion while, like, things are going crazy at work. I have a crisis. I can call her and she'll be like, this is what we're going to do. Is it important to have people like that in the industry that you can, like, rely on in a crisis? Yeah, I think it's really important. I think it's important in every industry, but particularly in Hollywood where so much of it is relationship-based and it's really helpful. So much of my job aside from just my relationship with Elizabeth, is about my relationship with my peer group and people I know who I've interacted with who I can ask questions. There's there's no real, like, guidebook or ladder that you climb to get this job. So often, like, every day I'll face a situation where I'll say, like, oh, haven't come across this before. How do I do this? What's this deal structure look like? Or how does this movie get made like this? Or this writer saying that? And I've never heard that before. And so it's really important to have people that you trust you can reach out to to ask those questions because someone will know the answer and someone can help you. And nobody has all the answers. So Mm -hmm. I think both peer-to-peer mentorship and also having someone who has done this all before and has a little bit more of a bird's eye view perspective on it is incredibly important, especially for women. I think um, since Hollywood is really often sort of a male-dominated industry, it's important to have, I think it's important for women to prioritize helping other women and make sure that you are lifting people up in Mm. that way. That's a good place to jump into what you do at Ubisoft. So can you talk a bit about your role there? And then also you've um, launched a fellowship, which is all about mentorship and and women and bringing women up. So yeah, can we kind of talk a bit about that initiative as well? Definitely. So I'm director of film development at Ubisoft Film and Television. And what that means is Ubisoft Film and Television is the branch of Ubisoft, the video game company that's focused on adapting our brands for film and TV, but also on finding original stories sort of about the culture and community of gaming and bringing those stories to life on screen. And what that looks like is I'm a producer on all of our projects. So we really put them together from start to finish. So looking at a game and figuring out first if it's best for film or TV, and then from there, who the right writer is, who the right director, the right cast and um, who eventually for some of our bigger budgeted projects who the right studio partner is and then overseeing that project through development into production another large part of my job is just working within the larger company and sort of helping educate everybody on Hollywood and the process and what we're doing out here and making sure that we're making decisions that are not necessarily what other production companies are are doing but are decisions that are right for Ubisoft as we grow our business and the fellowship is the best. It's one of my favorite things about my job. About two years ago, we started a fellowship for female screenwriters. And basically what it looks like is um, once a year, we hire one woman for film and one woman for TV for six months. It's paid, non-exclusive, where they work with us to look through our library of titles that we're not currently adapting for film or TV because we have hundreds, right? And they pitch ideas for film and TV adaptations with the goal of really narrowing it down to one pitch that we work really closely together on over the course of six months. At the end of that six months, they pitch officially and we have the option to do a script deal and hopefully make something out of it. It's great. It was designed really, something that I kept seeing and I think everybody sees is particularly in big IP adaptations is there aren't a lot of female screenwriters on those lists. Mm. Um, I think it's nowhere near the problem we have on the directing side, but it's 
problematic. There's usually like three or four women who studios have decided are safe and great choices to helm those really big projects with a lot of fans. And then if you're not one of those women, it's difficult to get a foot in the door. Mm. So for us, it was a way to, A, proactively be working with more women and also to give those women hopefully a leg up in those conversations and say, oh, I did the Ubisoft fellowship. Like, oh, I was working with IP. And hopefully that sort of helps chip away at the inequality that you see in these kind of projects. We also have extended it to the original idea side of things. So that's really fun because it means women also get to brainstorm these sort of stories that focus on the culture and community of gaming, which I think is great because there's obviously a misconception that video games are a male-dominated industry that video gamers are all men. In reality, the gender breakdown is more like 50-50. So I think it's extra. I'm excited about that side of it, which was new this year. So I think it's cool to have women telling those stories as well. That's quite interesting in that, yeah, you're developing them from video games. Is there something particularly special or different about adapting material from that industry for the big screen? Yeah, that's a good question. I mean, I think one of the reasons this job was a good fit for me is because I had done something similar when working with Elizabeth. Like I mentioned, she was adapting a lot of book to film. And it's similar in a lot of ways. I think with video game adaptations, you have the additional challenge, which is just like a PR problem, which is that people generally think that video game movies are bad, critically bad, essentially. So there's that sort of all like overcome. Like I get that question all the time. Like, how are you going to change this up? (laughs) So for us, I think our strategy is very much to take the world and tone of the game and tell an original stories with new characters in that world. So we're not focused on doing really, really by the book adaptations. We believe that the players and our community love the world and tone, but also are very media savvy consumers who like good films and good TV shows. So if we practice great storytelling in that world that they love and have spent hours in, in the game, even if it's a little bit different than the narrative from the game or features new characters, I think they're going to enjoy it. And I think that that's the most important thing is to prioritize good storytelling. And what makes you good at your job? How do you spot good talent? I mean, I think there's so many things that go into this position. I think spotting good talent is definitely one of them. But spotting good talent like starts from having good relationships. And like I was saying, have a, having a real network of peers and friends whose taste I trust as well. I'm like, you know what? I really need someone for this hybrid live action animation family comedy. And I don't know a lot of writers in the family comedy space. Can you recommend some? And reading. Reading a lot. Mm-hmm. I think that was where being an English major was helpful to me. I love reading. So it like doesn't feel like work. Reading tons of samples. And it's important. It's important to be able to spot what you like and what you don't like and write examples and sort of hone your taste. And that's something that I think I take for granted. But now that our company is growing and I'm sort of mentoring and fostering other junior executives who are going to work with us, it's a lot of like explaining what that looks like. But you don't really know until you know. You actually just have to be reading all the time and watching movies all the time. I think that's a, a really key thing. It's something I always look for. And our junior execs will be like, what did you see this week? Like, what's going on? Because it's it's important to be seeing good stuff at the same time as when you're working through a lot of, like, sometimes not great material. It's interesting. The IP kind of comes from anywhere now. Like, um, mm-hmm. The Farewell came from This American Life. You're talking about, like, ideas coming from video games. When we're surrounded by content, do you find it quite hard to, like, switch off and, like, not be doing your job? That's like- a great question. Yes. Yes. I mean... <laughs> For me, not that I understand that this is a job for many people. That's where like reality TV is a real, (laughs) real helpful thing for me. (laughs) That's sort of like if I've had like an incredibly stressful day and my mind just sort of spinning, Mm. reality TV is unrelated to anything that I do. So it's really (laughs) nice to turn that on. But at the same time, like, I don't know, that's kind of the great part about this job is that I still love watching movies and I still love watching TV. So even like being here at TIFF, like I'm here for work, but 
there's something so exciting about like when the lights go down in the first movie like I still love that viewer experience even though I sometimes am thinking it from like my boss side of my brain is that the favorite part your favorite part of the job like seeing it on the big screen and being with an audience like something that you've worked on or is there another part that you find more enjoyable I think my favorite part of the job is working with really talented writers and directors. I, that's just, it's just the best. I think I feel, I always feel really lucky. Like I remember re- recently, like a writer was working on a draft and called me and I picked up the phone and she was just like working through the story idea and I, we worked through it together. And then she hung up and I was like, it's so cool that this is my job. Like I'm just sitting at my desk answering a phone and like working through a character problem. Like I, that's, that's the thing that's really enjoyable for me. And coming back to the fellowship and the idea of nurturing, emerging female talent, it feels particularly important with women because often what happens is that we will give them bigger opportunities. Kathy Yan or mm-hmm. Kate Heron just got the, um, the, the Loki movie mm-hmm. with Marvel. But then we'll hold them to a higher standard. And if they fail or it's not deemed to be good, kind of they won't get those opportunities again. Mm-hmm. So do you think it's important to kind of have that incubator around them to sort of really support them on that journey. Yeah, I think that's really important. And I think it's also really important to, you make make a really good point, which is it's really important to let female creators fail as well. It's really important to not count them out the second, their second movie isn't as incredible as their first. Like, I think that that's a part of the process that we haven't totally wrapped our heads around, which is that men's careers, I'm speaking broadly here, but men's careers seem to be able to suffer a lot more bumps in the road than than women. And I think that's why it's important to sort of continue to foster people's growth moving forward throughout, and like always, always look at your list and be like, you know what? Yeah, I didn't love her other movie, but like that first movie was great. I'm going to put it on there and I'm going to keep thinking about mm-hmm. this idea. Like you have to constantly, constantly correct for even your own bias. Like I really feel that way even as a woman who created this fellowship and I'm constantly thinking about gender parity. I have to crack for my own biases, like little things like I remember I was thinking about a director for one project and it's it's so weird, but I realized that the prototype, when I think director, like if we're talking like open encyclopedia and see director, I think of a man. Mm-hmm. And it's like, that's what we're up against. It's stuff that like people don't even realize they think. And so you have to be really, really proactive in a lot of ways and look at how your bias might be affecting your choices in ways that you didn't even realize. Do you feel like you've suffered bias in your career? I feel like I've been predominantly incredibly lucky and that I've worked for really great people who have been truly, truly invested in my success. It was the same at UTA, it was the same with Elizabeth, and it's 100% true at Ubisoft. That being said, I feel very lucky to work at Ubisoft in particular because I think that, you know, had you asked me, like, do you see, did you see yourself working at a video game company? I would say no because mm-hmm. I wasn't predominantly a gamer starting out. That being said, me working at Ubisoft completely makes sense. They're so creative focused. A good idea from come from anywhere. They're so focused on not following previously trodden ground. They're always looking for new ways to do things and really empowering their employees at every level to do that. So it was the perfect fit for me and that I feel like I've been able to excel and have a lot of autonomy very quickly here, which is, I think, sometimes harder to do in Hollywood. There's a lot of hierarchy and there's a lot of like you know, you need to have worked at this level for this many years. And like, really, there's a lot of emphasis on sort of biding your time and paying your dues. Whereas I think one of the great things about Ubisoft as a company is it's just like, let's all do this together and make something really amazing. Mm. And so I feel like I have been probably spared from a lot of bias in that way. And that Ubisoft is just an amazing place to work. Do you think that's kind of key to having a, a successful career on both a macro level in, you know, in yourself, but also on a micro level of producing good content is like keeping an open mind to possibilities and not having kind of a set path of this is how you should do it? Absolutely. I think 
particularly now more than ever. Like, we don't know what movies are going to look like in five years, in two years, in a year. The rise of streaming has really disrupted the business. The rise of the next generation of consumers is really disrupting Mm. the business. And so I think one of the things that working at Ubisoft has really challenged me to do is to think outside of the box, which is not always easy to do in Hollywood. There's just a lot of emphasis on the old ways of doing things and like no this is these are the steps it takes to make a movie and this is the kind of content it has to be this or it has to be this and we are constantly challenging that at my company and I think it's a really healthy way to be thinking because it creates opportunities for new voices new kinds of projects and like that's what's exciting right doing things the way that everybody's always been doing them is not exciting you have Mm. to lead you can't follow Speaking of disruption and streaming, and you're on a panel at the industry conference here at TIFF about maximizing your IP potential. Mm -hmm. Can you kind of unpick that a little bit about how you do that, how you find great stories and how you look for ways to tell them differently? I mean, I think for us in our approach to development of film adaptations of our games, the best thing that we can do, I think, is not limit ourselves by what's come before in terms of not saying that everything from the game has to go into the movie or we can't you know, leave any room for invention. I think that it's really important to think about what makes a good movie versus what makes a good video game. They're really different mediums and you can't cram a square into a circle, right? So it's it's really about thinking about, for me, always a place from character first. Why do I care about this person? And really what's the big idea? Aside from the fact that this is based off of a game that people love, which is important and valid, what's the big idea for this adaptation? Why does it matter in the grand scheme of the marketplace and interesting content that people want to watch? It has to have a reason for being, aside from already having a really big fan base. I think in order to be successful and in order, and in order to welcome new fans to the table, which is important to us, we want to open up the world of our games to a whole new audience of viewers, right? We don't want our content only to be for the community that we already have. And what's the hardest part of your job? There's a lot. There's the fact that development is a little bit of a slog, right? The process of trying to get something greenlit for production can really feel like Sisyphus in the rock. Mm -hmm. Or like, I always say, like, carrying a lot of laundry and, like, hoping that you don't, like, drop it off (laughs) and then have to start all over again. That's the worst. Yeah, that's that's (laughs) literally what it feels like. Like, Oh, my God, all the pieces. Oh, no, it's gone. I have to start from the beginning. And that is challenging. And But at the same time, when something does come together, it's even more rewarding because you know how hard it was to get there. I think personalities in this industry can be challenging. People are really passionate. People really, especially um, on the representation side, really want to advocate for their clients, which I love and I think is amazing. But sometimes being on the receiving end of it is like, Mm -hmm. I think one of the things that has been really invaluable for me is accepting the fact that like I can't make everyone happy all the time. And I think that that's important because you're going to have to say no to certain people and you're going to have to make certain choices to get something to carry the laundry to the washer. <laughs> like, it's a tough road and you're going to have to say no and you're going to have to make some people unhappy. Mm. But I don't know. It's like for everything that I could say that's bad about this industry, it's also why I love it. I, all of the crazy personalities are also some of the most charismatic and inspiring people I've ever met who, from the very first day I worked at UTA, made me want to be a better version of myself and made me want to be that confident and that ambitious. Mm. So it's hard but that's what makes it great and I would say the same thing in terms of the relative instability and what we're talking about in terms of all these changes that are happening in the industry that sometimes makes it hard to come up with like a business model or like a set plan that you can apply to all of your projects but that's also what makes it great because opportunities come out of nowhere that you weren't even expecting and what about when people say no to you how did how have you learned not to take that rejection personally I think again it's almost the same just like you can't make everybody happy your ideas or your projects are not going to be everybody's cup of tea. So I think the most important thing that you can do, and one of the things that I feel very lucky and that I've been able to consistently do this, 
is know why you're developing every project you have. And even if other people can't see that bigger reason for being that you have in your mind, it's important that you can, because otherwise you can't defend it. Mm. And that way, if someone says no, you can understand like, all right, this just wasn't right for their slate or this wasn't really right for like the way they're doing business. But I know that I'm going to find someone who sees the things that I see in this and I'm just going to keep looking for that person. But if you don't know what you see in it, that action is a lot harder to Mm. do. And is that just about trusting your instinct? And as you said before, your taste and just knowing that it makes you feel something and therefore that will hopefully translate to a bigger audience? I think so. Yeah. I mean, a lot of this is it's a it's like part instinct, part knowing the marketplace really well and watching a lot of TV and a lot of movies and reading a lot. And so knowing when you have something good and I think it's something that you continue to hone over time and you're going to be wrong sometimes. You're going to be like, this is the best movie I've ever put together. The fact that you want this is crazy. And then you'll look back on that five years ago and it'll be like looking at an outfit that you wore in high school and you're like, well, I was, that was wrong. Mm-hmm. But it's, so I think it's a constant process, but it's important that you, even if you ultimately turn out to be wrong, are passionate about what you're doing and care about your projects and believe in them. And what do you think is the biggest misconception about working in this industry or working in development particularly? That's a good question. I think a, that it's like super glamorous. Like I just think that a lot of Hollywood's portrayal on TV and in movies is just something that it's not. And I think one of the biggest misconceptions, at least that I feel I have with my own family or like people who don't work in the mm-hmm. industry is like it's re- people just don't know what the other jobs are. And I think that's why it's, I love what you're doing because I think people really just think like, okay, I could be an actor, I could be a director, I could be a writer. Like mm-hmm. I didn't like, I wasn't five being like, I want to produce. Yeah. Like, <laughs> and I, so I think that that's one of the things that people sort of learn over time as they get gain more exposure for the industry. But if you're just looking at it from the outside, you don't understand how many people it takes to get a show or a movie off the ground and how there's so many different ways to participate in that industry, even if you yourself are not an actor, writer, or director. That's why I feel lucky that I had sort of the progress that I had through the jobs is I started out thinking like, okay, well, if I want to work in film and I love writing, then I guess I have to be a writer. And it was only after working closely with screenwriters and then really working in an agency where I was like, oh no, if I love writing, but there are so many reasons I can't be a writer. One, like I like going to an office and like I'm way too organized in type A and like I tried it. It wasn't for me. (laughs) It's so great that I had the ability and the access to see a bunch of different roles and see where I fit in. And for me, it was, it was producing. It was still getting to work with all of these amazing creative people and like feel that same rush of excitement I would feel when I like wrote something in college that I was really pleased with, um, but on a more supportive capacity. And I get to be super organized in Taipei, which I am naturally, mm-hmm. so that's a great fit. <laughs> Do you still have ambitions as a writer or that's not something you're thinking about anymore? You know, I'm really happy to say that I, I feel like that emotional need is fulfilled in my job. Like I don't, have like a wistful moment sitting in the car looking out the window being like one day when this all quiets down I'll write my novel like I actually my job is really creative in a lot of ways so I don't have that sort of itch Um, and what's your ambition for the fellowship in moving forwards kind of where do you want to see it go and grow I would love to be able to continue doing it honestly since we're only in our second year every year that we're able to continue it and that we are able to feel like the results that we're seeing mean that it's a great initiative that we should continue to do is a success And beyond that, I would love in the future to figure out what the directing equivalent looks like for us. Mm. The writing one just made sense because it really, it works with the resources that we have. And it's like something, a change that we can affect very immediately. But I would, in the future, looking down in the next five to 10 years, I would love to figure out what 
if any, the directing version of that is for women, because I think that's also an important change that needs to happen. And do you think that's something that more companies should be adopting? As much as I love the fellowship, I hope that we get to a point where those things are not necessarily needed. Like, I think the thing that has been helpful about the fellowship across our company is that for anyone who wasn't already thinking about it now, when they go to make those lists or when they go to find people to fill positions, you are constantly thinking about your own bias and making sure that you're being proactive to give opportunities to women, people of color, any of these sort of minority groups that are not always seeing the spotlight. So I hope in the future that we don't need that. Like, I hope that everybody is just on the, like, I hope that it's not always a side project Mm -hmm. and that there's just more equality across the board. Yeah, it's not like something you've had to create. Exactly, exactly. I think that they're super needed and necessary right now, but I hope in the future that they sort of, what is it? It's like all the hinge commercials. It's like, it's designed to delete the app. Like, I hope eventually we can delete the fellowship because we just have gender parity. Yeah, completely. And then finally, um, here at TIFF, what are you most excited to see from a a woman filmmaker? I'm gonna just right off the bat say Hustlers. I'm so excited. For Lawrence Gavaria's yeah. movie. I love Jennifer Lopez. I love mm. the trailers. I just, I can't, I'm so, it's like one of my most anticipated films. But then there are so many. I mean, Alma Harrell's movie didn't premiere here. I saw it at Sundance, Honey Boy, but I mm. love that movie. I thought it was incredible and just so different than anything I had ever seen and so ambitious and really artistically beautiful. Um, I'm really excited to see Mariel Heller's movie. Yes, I've loved her trajectory as well. I know, it's so exciting. It's exciting to see a woman director kind of off the the back of what we were saying earlier, like have a great first film, but then do that consistently and be given the opportunity to do it consistently. Absolutely, and to direct a movie that you wouldn't look at, not that there's any movie that should be looked at this way and be like, we need a woman for this one. Like, it's really, it's just, it's a great character story and and she's obviously so fantastically good at that that I'm glad she was given the opportunity. Margaret, thank you so much. Thank you so much. This This is so cool. Thank you for downloading this episode of Best Girl Grip. If you're brand new to the podcast, check out all previous episodes on iTunes, Spotify and Acast and tell your friends to do the same. I'll be back next week with another conversation from the Toronto International Film Festival. Have a good week. Mm-hmm.